You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Enemy of My Enemy. I am Cody Johns. I'm Brian. I'm Sam. And this is the show where you get left, right, and center, libertarian perspectives on the same show. We got a banger for you because I'm already excited about everything that we have to talk about. We're going to cram it into a, a, as little time frame as possible. Uh, I got two of my best buds here in the Liberty Movement, and I'm just, I'm so stoked for the show. Uh, to those who did not hear last week's episode, Lou's going to have to take a bit of a break. When she's feeling well, we will have her on. But until then, you're going to get some rotating. Uh, you're going to get a rotating cast that includes folks like Sam, who is at this point pretty much a co-host on the show. Um, and we're just so happy uh, that we got such a big network. Lou, if you're listening, we wish you well and and hope you recover as quickly as possible. Let's get into it, because this is going to be great. Uh, today, uh, as headlined, we are going to spend the first part talking about what is going on at the Ukraine. Uh, ordinarily, I deliver a summary at the beginning, and then we kind of get on our opinions with the summary. The basic issue, if I'm going to just highlight the most important details, that um, Russia's kind of moving a lot of military equipment on the border and they have invaded the Ukraine before. Uh, it has not been tremendously successful because of a combination of economic sanctions and good old fashioned, Hey, this looks like it's going to be too much firepower for us to keep going. Um, for whatever reason, does anybody get the sense it's the Olympics that makes Putin do this? Cause like every four years or so, it's just like, it's always like, Hey, the Olympics are going to go on. Let's have an international crisis. Cause that's the best time to do it. There are various alliances in play here with Germany and China and the U S is involved because of course we are. And, uh, it, it, it's just basically, Hey, when you move that many tanks down there, um, I know you say you're just moving there for training exercises, but that's very expensive. And a lot of people are saying, hey, there's no way you're moving that many tanks down there just for training exercises, that many missiles. Um, we suspect something more is at play. And of course, people are in President Joe Biden's ear about is the U.S. going to send troops? Are we going to get involved? Um, he has been noncommittal as far as the answer goes. Um at the moment, he hasn't committed to yes, which I am happy for, but he is also not necessarily committed to no. There was a report that we were going to send 8,500 troops over there. Um, that report was neither confirmed nor denied So, uh, by the White House. So, so we are certainly all kind of waiting with bated breath. So I felt like it would be good to do an episode. Usually we do episodes after something has happened and kind of analyze it. Um, but Brian and Sam have predicted the future on the show before, so I feel like this is a good time to uh, to talk with them about it. Um, why don't we start with you, Brian? Why don't you give me your breakdown on what's going on at the U Ukraine? You're usually really gifted about this kind of stuff, and I'm just shooting from the hip. So let's start with your thoughts. The, the Ukraine is a mess. Um, the country itself, uh, the political leadership, uh, and the history uh, of the Ukraine, uh, especially with the Soviet Union, 
and uh, the the really the the genocide that has taken place, which may in fact dwarf the Holocaust in some cases. Um, it, it's a hard number to, to bring up the whole more, and I mispronounced that. I apologize. But looking at it, it, it's a very complex area, simply because number one, um, the wheat production, just from a food perspective, is similar to what we would see in Kansas, Iowa, Nebraska. It, it's essentially the the heart of uh, food production in cent- in you know Western Asia. Uh, the other piece is that it is a crossroads with the Black Sea and a number of other countries uh, that are break off Soviet republics. The reason that the Soviets were so interested in the Ukraine, because it gave them pretty much total Black Sea control. And, and the third thing is, of course, is that it's a breakaway Soviet republic. And there are a lot of people who long back for those days. But there are a lot of people also remember those days and have lost family, uh, generational type of, you know, death and wealth pillaging that took place and of course leaving chernobyl there um doesn't really help russia's uh ideas of of what's going on now unfortunately because of various uh internal political fighting uh the u.s meddling russia meddling and every other one else meddling it's still a giant mess uh there's a lot of cash flowing in due to some energy um either logistically or production that they can do inside the ukraine Um, But overall, everybody kind of wants to be Ukraine's friend, but nobody wants to be friends with Ukraine. Um, And that's the best way I can kind of describe it. The the big problem that we're seeing here is that we have lots of external influences trying to influence this small country, which, by the way, was the sixth nuclear power very briefly uh, during the breakup of the Soviet Union, and that both Russia, the U.S., and the U.K., and a number of other countries committed to keeping the Ukraine independent from any country's influence because uh, so that it would give up its nuclear missiles, which it did not have the permissive action lock, so it couldn't launch a nuclear strike, but it did kind of possess them. So it's nine-tenths of the law. And so here we are. Uh, It's an issue that we punted down the road probably back in 1995, Uh, We probably should have done a better job of helping the Ukraine find independence. Uh, At the time, I will tell you, it was probably the furthest saw from anyone's mind. But now here's where we are. And we've got to somehow navigate our way through this. I don't think there's a good solution. The best solution is probably to let the Ukraine solve their own problems. But it's also a good thing to say if you decide to go invading into this country that is a, a recognized country that there's going to be significant penalties, which our allies should step up and and, uh, commit with us. Fantastic points. Sam, some of your thoughts on the, uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Oh, oh, I know so much about this subject. I'm excited. Not really, but. um, uh, (laughs) U.S. involvement bad, right? Exactly. That's what I know. Um, So a lot of people are talking about um, we shouldn't get involved because, you know, we're America, they're Ukraine and Russia. And I think that's kind of a bad argument. And sometimes a bad argument can just cause reactionary the other direction. But the the real reason we shouldn't get involved is because every time we get involved in foreign affairs, like in the Middle East and all that, um, it just never turns out good. And I don't really, I'm not a big fan of pissing off the number one nuke holder in the world. 
and they they're also the, have the top nuclear technology as well um, in Russia. So I'm just really not a big fan of all that. It sounds like um, one of the biggest reasons is because we we sort of said you guys can maybe be in NATO with us to, to Ukraine, and then we we never actually did that or anything like that. But uh, Russia said we're not going to let them join NATO, and then some reason that's a big deal to us, even though we America never really wanted them to begin with, and none of no one wants Ukraine in NATO NATO anyway. So. Yeah, the NATO aspect was kind of an odd angle on it. Because I guess when we set it up, we promised that they'd never be in it. And then we invited them and or or something like that. There was a there was a conversation to invite them that yeah. didn't pan out. And but Russia takes, of course, you know, looking for an excuse when you break your promise, technically, and was a promise broken? Well, if you promise that somebody's never gonna be in and then extend to them an invitation that that certainly looks that way then they kind of get all uppity now of course that nato was established in generations prior and it doesn't matter as much anymore but when you make laws and diplomatic agreements then things don't always pan out the same way you know years later sam i think your take on it is exactly the same as mine if you look at any time that was appropriate to get involved it would have been kuwait right like a small little country um with oil that iraq was very unfairly going you know going to take over and everything and yet all these countries say like no we're not going to let you do it we are going to step forward and make sure that you don't take over kuwait okay sounds holy so far all good right like that aggressor the aggressor was wrong we want to stop the aggressor here's the problem that these countries, including ours and everybody else's for that matter, don't do it because it's a holy war. This is not <laughs> some type of religious belief that we're doing the right thing and we step in because we're just such good people. I mean, we have seen these politicians that we're, we're placing this on have placed hundreds of millions of people across the world in prisons for victimless crimes. These are the same people that will lie and say and break all of their promises to maintain their positions of power. So when they are the ones involved with going to war, what's the real reason we get involved with Kuwait? It had nothing to do with this holy war. It had everything to do with growing government, big money, power, energy, uh, all kind, all kinds of things that bolster their position and they see an opportunity to take advantage of someone else's. So when you see a country like the, uh, you know, what's funny is I, I just realized today, like I was looking this up. It's just Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine, but I'm so used to saying the Ukraine. Is it because yeah. it starts with a U and that's hard to say? Is that why? I, I have no idea. No, the, I think it's the way that it's translated out of Ukrainian. So I, okay. I, I, I think that that's part of it. It's also been kind of like it's like the 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 midwest yeah kind of, you know you know it's it's I, I i i'm sure there's somebody who has ukrainian uh relatives who could reach out in fact there's that re the at&t girl i think is in a ukrainian uh her families are ukrainian refugees maybe we could reach out to her and see if she can give us a story i'm sure she'll be glad to oh sure, yeah. sure, um, sure. I've been trying to look up the statistics, but isn't there like a really significant number of Ukrainians that want to be like a part of Russia? Like half well, the country speaks Russian and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's probably, how do I want to say this? 
propaganda? It, yeah, I wouldn't call it propaganda. It's kind of <laughs> like, um, you know, when people put up the um, the uh, little uh, caption of the United States, a little picture of, uh, you know, and they take the coast and say Southern Canada in the middle, they say Jesus Stan type of thing. <laughs> that That's kind of, I think, the mentality of it is, would you like to be in a country that shares your political views most of the time? Oh, oh yeah, sure. That'd be great. As opposed to those dorks who speak a different language than me and blah, blah, blah goes on from there. But you look at the Ukraine and, and the Russian relationship, it's pretty terrible long term. I mean, just I mean, the most recent one, obviously, is the the incursion that they did into Ukrainian territory. You know, hey, they these people asked us to be here. Uh, and then before that, you have Chernobyl. Before that, you have all of the environmental waste. And then before that, you have Stalin going, you know, I, I don't really like those people. Maybe I'll just starve them all to death and call it a day. So it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the other aspect. I, sorry. Did you no, you're OK. Ahead? Yeah, you go. I ahead. really want to drill down into is the whole nuke thing. Like, how do we how do we have I mean. Yeah, World War II, you could just invade, and it wasn't a big deal because it was a big deal, but it's not like it is now. I mean, now you have all these nuclear warheads. We've been not, doing... Not really. I, I mean, we've I'm, been doing all this stuff to the mid Middle East. They don't have anything. So it's, I feel like we're getting our 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 war lust out on these, you know, bombing these deserts. But it's like, what, what are we going to do with an actual country that, you know, like the number one nuke holder in the world? Right. I I'm mean, the thing is, is... No, no, number one, hang on here. Hang oh, on go here. ahead. The, the number one nuke holder in the world. I just want to say just because you have more bombs does not does not just because you say you have more bombs and just because you may have more bombs doesn't mean that you can deliver them in a reliable way. And I, I think they're also the, the best nuclear wise is what I've heard. I, I, the, I, 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 I here's what I'm going to say about this. When you look at Russian technology and the Russian, a lot of the Russian nuclear scientists that left to go to the top ones that went to Pakistan, North Korea, other places like that, India. So they can say that they are top scientists, but we got to keep all of ours for the past 40 years. They all stayed here. Los Alamos is still a thing. Sandia is still a thing. There's a lot of exciting research that goes on in those places that we are never going to hear about. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that, you know, America and these other countries have better technology and we just don't know about it. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is we I, it's kind of one of the reasons we fight tertiary wars, which is great for us and terrible for other countries. Like, you know, we go head to head and all of a sudden people start working on that tech that Brian talked about. Like, maybe we should start working on delivering, you know, delivery mechanisms to actually send these nukes to other countries. And uh for now like I, I it's really sad that that our spat is over you know is fought in places like syria and the ukraine and yeah. not you know but i mean i guess i will say sad not that the alternative is better that we fight directly because that would also be also really terrible and um, i would also like to say that uh there's a good chance that we will have nuclear warfare and that we will all I die I don't because know. In the zero. future time trip, zero no chance. You're all right. You know what, Sam? I, I will let you make I, your point because this I, is. I don't think it's zero. I don't it, think it's it zero. Is. But right. uh, <laughs> I saw a tweet today that uh, we know 
the reason there's no time travel back to our time is because the future doesn't exist. I thought that was interesting. But no, just because uh, um, nuclear <laughs> warfare hasn't happened doesn't mean it's not going to. Like, we could just wake up tomorrow and it could have. It's you know, fair. It you know, let's. Out. Let, let's just let's be it's content. not off the table let's put it that sure way. sure sure let's be content to say that we are dealing with a very powerful entity and uh, two very powerful entities and the world is kind of caught there and in fact those powerful entities are connected to other powerful entities and it's very complex one thing that i did want to um kind of dissuade a little bit after talking to a friend who who had some good articles to link to me, Anna, and actually I'm going to have her on the show here in, in a bit. Um, is that, is that there's kind of this like Russia bad narrative. And the thing is, is Russia is not much different than any other country that is looking out for its own best interests. And in some cases, these broken agreements don't, aren't particularly helpful to Russia. Um, Obviously, now, <laughs> Stalin is, or not Stalin, Putin. Boy, he's going to hate that. Uh, I know he's listening, too, which is unfortunate. Um, Putin is kind of one of the scarier guys in history. Do you guys remember when he visited President Trump? Uh, you know, I, I mean, obviously, the media had a big ado about that because they're like, oh, it's Trump and his best friend hanging out together. But uh, the <laughs> the I remember the bit where he talked about where a media reporter from us asked him about like, hey, what about you killing all your political adversaries? Like, they just kind of disappear and stuff. And instead of saying, no, I don't kill my political adversaries, he goes, well, you guys do it here in the U.S. all the time, too. Why should I feel bad about it? What do you think happened to Martin Luther King Jr.? And it was like, ah! Like, that's a scary answer for a person who controls a country as powerful as Russia. To Instead of just being like, no, like, I wouldn't do that. To instead be like, whatever, don't be hypocritical. You guys kill people over here as well. Uh, you know, he's a scary guy, Putin is. Like, I mean, this is, you know, KG, KGB agent, you know, the... Uh, uh, he rides most- horses shirtless and takes right. baths in blood. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, this is a, you know, he's a scary guy. Now... The thing is, is while he is scary, I don't believe he is unstable. So there is some kind of predictability there. Um, As much as I love to call politicians like madmen, sometimes that doesn't that doesn't do its service because there is like a predictable way that, you know, with most politicians that you can say, I know how they're going to behave in these situations. That being said, if the guy has no qualms or ethics about knocking off a political adversary, he obviously, obviously is not going to experience very many. Uh, he's not going to lose any sleep if a few people die on the Ukrainian border because he's just, you know, expanding a little bit or taking back what was supposed to be his that was unfairly divided or separated off when the USSR dissol- dissolved, you know. And and uh, he is. And, and so, like, here's the thing is, like, I think there's aggressors and aggressees on both sides. As far as the Ukraine goes, I feel for them because I think that they are they are also trying to do what's best for them. And unfortunately, when you are the small fish and you're doing what's best for you, uh, things are going to look a lot differently than if you're the big fish doing what's best for you. Um, it is, you know, I, I do think that, that we need to establish that the libertarian position, now we are all right, right left, center libertarians here. I get that. Um, war is an issue that we are, as libertarians united on um 
stay out of it. I think that we do need to probably address the example of uh, sanctions that I also think that are rather unhelpful. We've been doing sanctions against uh, Russia. And I mean, to even stop this pipeline from getting built, we did like metal sanctions against like, like steel sanctions against Germany. And uh, who gets punished the most when a sanction hits? Do you see these dictators all of a sudden like, oh, guess I'm going to have to cut back more this month. No, that's not, that's not the way it works. What happens is the dictator then says, uh, okay, well, guess I'll guess the other guess the people have to suffer even more. Yeah, sanctions some, really aren't that helpful. Sorry, go ahead, Sam. Yeah, sometimes we think of sanctions because we're thinking a lot of times we'll think of you know country versus country. We'll be like America trades with China or China trades with Russia and all this stuff. But it's really all just a bunch of individuals trading with each other. So when you do sanctions, it's just like cutting off a whole bunch of positive transactions. Right. And it's uh, you know. It's not hurting the dictator at all. He doesn't care. Right. You I look mean, at... Stalin literally just watched his people starve to death. Oh, yeah. Break a sweat. <laughs> you know? Right. You look at uh, Cuba, another good example of something that we felt like our sanctions were helpful, and it really just hurt the people. The people on top got to live happily ever after. Poor Brian is having issues with his interwebs right now, and uh, he's trying off and on to get back on this thing. This is ridiculous. I, I'm sitting here watching, and I uh -huh. apologize. I'm going to go tech yep. talk. Here. For some reason, on StreamYard, it, it seems to want to shoot out a 60 megs uh, camera signal. Yeah, and I'm going, that seems a little high. So <laughs> I've been going through trying to knock down stuff because 60 meg on, on this is, it, it's a little, uh, what the hell are you trying to do here? So it's now back down to normal, but sorry about that. You're okay. I want to ask you both. Let's do a roundtable before we get into the next conversation. I'll start with you, Brian, since your internet is, or since the, uh, I guess the signal is not trying to overload right now. Um, now the worry here is it's like, so what do we do? Nothing. And how would you respond, Brian, to the, so we do nothing. What do, what do we do? What's to be done? Do we let this happen? We, we, we don't put troops on the ground, but. Biden not committing to that is frankly okay with me. You okay. you don't when you're when you're playing football you don't go hey by the way we're gonna blitz on this one um, you know I'm I'm all good with him saying you know do see what happens you know screw around and find out um, I don't think we need to send troops out there I think that if Putin was gonna do something he would have already done that already. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is Saber Island. Of course, I could be completely wrong tomorrow morning. But looking at just everything, the geopolitical problems, things like that, if we want to avoid this, the first thing is to get Germany energy independent. Um, the minute that they no longer have to pump uh, euros into the Russian economy changes quite a bit of a lot of this. Um, the, the second they stop that pipeline changes a lot of this. So if we get the Germans to turn their nuclear plants back on, which thankfully the public public opinion has swayed back to, yeah, you know what? Nuclear power isn't terrible. It's actually pretty safe and you should be doing it as much as possible. Um, but with that, it should also be that with, with that kind of persuasion with them, gets them back on track, and then all of a sudden a lot of financial incentives 
for Russia to control the Ukraine kind of diminish pretty quickly. Um, I don't think there's a value add for Putin to try to hold on to it because you may end up like Cody, like you said, into Gulf War Part Two. Yep. Um, and and the, the the hollow threats of, oh, well, what would we do if uh, if, you know, if Cuba or Mexico all of a sudden decide to let, you know, become a part of, you know, of Russia's defense program? Um, but here's the funny thing. This is the same thing I heard back in 95 with Lithuania, Latvia, all Poland, especially when Poland wanted to join NATO. Oh, my goodness. It was going to be World War Three. Russia was going to can't believe that nato would be part of him you know they've been now part of nato for how many years if any of these countries want to be part of an alliance yes you have to balance the good of what they can bring to us to what we can bring to them but you should have a long-term path that says hey look if they really want to be a part of nato we're going to put them on a path that in 10 years they're, they're going to be a part of NATO if they want to keep doing it. But let's see 10, 15 years from now if that's what they still want to do. And if NATO is even viable at that point, that's a different story altogether. So, Sounds good. Sam, do we do nothing? What do we do? Yes, we do nothing. I'm all for that. That's the most actively positive thing we could do is nothing. That uh, that's simple, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't want to send a whole bunch of people out there and get no. them blown to bits. We don't want to do drones. We don't want to do bombs. There's not really a whole lot we can do. It's right next to Russia. They're kind of it's, it's it's their thing to do. Um, it's a similar. You know, if Ukraine doesn't like it, then they'll have to rebel in their own way, and um, Russians can rebel their own government as well. But uh, I don't. I don't see us getting involved in any way being somehow a solution as bad as it doesn't matter how bad it is. We're not the solution. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I think even one step further now, even if I'm not going to go the route of, of say like, uh, I'm going to put my anarchist hat off for a second and just say, I believe in the government and they have the right to do foreign things and on our behalf that are maybe beneficial. If they do that, the way to do that, I think war is regressive. I think what you do is you be proactive by saying like, Hey, we haven't talked about loosening up some oil reserves or getting rid of these sanctions or that, you know, all these things that you're doing is because we, you know, we put a, you know, a steel sanction on Germany because we don't want this pipeline being built. How about we start, how about you do some energy deals with us? How about we get rid of the steel sanction? Frankly, you get rid of the steel sanction, you know, sanction and, and that fixes a lot. Brian, go ahead and reboot, reboot, poor guy. Uh, <laughs> he's going to get things fixed up there. Um, but yeah, I, I think that so so that is like if you were to take care of it as a politician, you make some deals that involve not war, right? Because I think when you do this, like I'll blow you up, you know, well we might invade. Well, if you invade, I'll do this. That's kind of like a regressive conversation because all it can do is break down. You know, it's either when you keep things the same, that animosity is still there. You're just saying like, well, maybe I'll wait until your troops are busy or I'll wait until because I still at the moment, if we just say even if we avoid everything and keep things the same, they still want to invade. We still want to send troops over there because then everybody's economy grows, apparently. And and 
that's the other thing. Now I'm going to put back on my anarchist hat. Uh, this is something that and at very critical economic level needs to change. The fact that we have an economy that changes, that is judged, that is valued based on how much money is being spent is absolutely absurd. The idea that this is, and it is so, and this isn't just like how other countries see us. This go, this national income identity equation has to do with how what our currency is worth. This has to do with with how much the dollar is worth, and every country has tied themselves into this because I'm, I hate, I hate him. But Keynes won the debate, and other countries decided to follow his lead, and this is what we have. So. We have to deal. We now live in this world where, hey, more money being spent is better. And Keynes, for better or for worse, but very naively believe that, well, no country's actually going to get in war. Yes, it would benefit the economy, but no countries are actually going to get involved in perennial wars. They're not that monstrous, are they? Well, apparently he didn't understand politicians the way we do today, but yes, they will. If that's what happens, if that's what it means to spend money. Now, this affects everything. Obviously, this, I mean, this affects the hours that we work. This affects, you know, prices that we pay on cans of beans and rent and, and housing and everything like that. But perhaps the most compelling argument to change the economics isn't just purely talking about economics, but also how it puts this strain and encourages people to commit acts of aggression because both sides committing them makes their economies grow under the way we judge economies today. It's, it needs to change. Frankly, it economically, we need an overhaul uh, Keynes might have won the debate, however you want to say that. Either way, he was convincing enough to enough countries. I don't think he actually won the debate, but he convinced enough countries because it satisfied what they wanted. And every country ended up following suit. It is time for us to realize what a mistake that was. Uh, everybody at the time warned that this would lead to wars that never end and rumors of wars and preparation for wars. Even Keynes himself admitted this would lead to permanent preparation of war forever and ever and ever. He just thought that nobody would actually pull the trigger and blow each other up. He was very wrong. Uh, and now we're just seeing it again. I am, if you are the praying sort or the good vibe sort, uh, send them out to the folks involved, both with the Russia and with the Ukraine. Um, for us, it's a nice, um, it's a luxury topic that probably won't affect many of us unless we have loved ones that are sent over there. For them, this is very much a reality. Um, an invasion is an invasion. It could be very frightening. People could die. It's scary. Um, and yeah, we just, uh, you know, hearts out to them, hoping for the best. Let's go ahead and head on to the peace of my mind section. If you folks wouldn't mind hanging on for just a second for some delicious advertisement that gets us paid big bucks. I appreciate it. And we'll be back real quick. And thank you so much for waiting through the break there, everybody. Uh, coming back with the peace of my mind section, uh, Brian's still having some, this is going to be the Brian's connectivity sucks episode. This, uh, <laughs> I, I legit, I'm down to using my iPad. This is like, what the heck's going on here? You look and sound great. So that's oh. fine. Um, yeah. yeah. So let's go ahead and, and we're, we're onto the peace of my mind now segment. Uh, Brian, Sam and I, you and I have already had, uh, a brief exchange about this one. But I know we both have feelings about it. And I'm Brian, I'm sure you do too. Now, of course, uh, 
while the head lines should read, hey, America might get involved in another war. Of course, what was the biggest story last week as far as what everybody was Google searching? Neil Young versus Joe Rogan was the big battle of the Titans, or at least battle of the Titan versus somebody else. Who's Neil uh, Young? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, now, here's the thing. Uh, uh, my, If you listen to the main show, my thoughts are very similar to Chris Bangles on this one. Um, and I like Neil Young's voice. I like his music well enough. I don't think he has a lot of it. But, you know, the songs that you probably know Neil Young for, uh, I enjoy well enough. You know, I'm not going to lie and say that I was following him on Spotify. Um, but yeah, you know, he is, uh, so, so for those who need to be brought up to this drama, uh, Neil Young, because of some of the interviews that Joe Rogan has done and some of the things that have been said about COVID, uh, Neil Young said, you know what, take my stuff off of Spotify. Now, Neil Young does not own his music. So Spotify could have said, no, uh, we have a contract with Joe Rogan. We're going to keep your music up. Spotify did oblige uh, Neil Young and decided to take his music off of there. Now, Neil Young has been talking about this forever. Um, those who are unfamiliar with Neil Young, you might recognize the Heart of Gold song. Been looking for a heart of gold. And I'm getting old. Uh, and, and other such songs. He was a singular artist himself. He was part of a couple of bands, and it's hard for me to keep track of which song was him. Crosby, so Stills, Nash, and Young. Yeah, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. There you go. Um, yeah. That Great. one. And there's part of another one that I, I don't even remember right now. But yeah, they had an album that was self-titled. Um, anyway. He's he, he's a two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which the Rock and Roll Hall yeah. of Fame is kind of a giant pile of crap anyway. If Foreigner's but... not in it, I'm not interested. I'm sorry. <laughs> You can't even see, see Foreigner nowadays because nobody's actually that's in the band that's ever been in the band when they made all their songs. But anyhow, I still go to their story. concerts. I don't care to hear this. I'm cutting you off and I'm going to continue uh, okay. my thing. <laughs> um, no, I, Neil's, Neil's a very gifted singer and has held some very good positions, but it's just hilarious. Uh, no, um, Buffalo Springfield, I thought, was just um, Stephen Stills. But... Uh, Sorry, somebody commented about adding Buffalo Springfield in there, but I could be wrong. Um, but that being said, Neil, Neil's a gifted songwriter. Um, but Neil also sold his catalog pretty conveniently right during COVID to the CEO who just took over of the private equity firm, who was the CEO and chairman of Pfizer. Kind of weird. Uh, and then... Uh, promptly sold his music to them for an obscene amount of money, by the way. And then magically starts to get upset about Rogan and then announces, hey, by the way, I still have my streaming service that you had for $20 a year. Listen to all the all the Neil Young songs you want to listen to. Pretty convenient how that all took place. This is not time. even Neil Young's first spat with Spotify. I did just no, look it, it up, by the way, Buffalo Springfield was actually founded by Neil Young, Bruce Palmer, and Dewey Martin. So Okay, I was wrong. I thought that was Stephen Stills. Was it's alright. Yep. That's the other one. I'm I wrong. It's okay. I appreciate it, Ron. That uh, Ron. That's why Ron's got our back on this one. He understood. I said some band that he was part of, and Ron's like, I got this one. I know who we're talking about. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I, I think the thing is for me, uh, everybody is, this is kind of like one of those market things. Now that being said, is it a market thing? There can still be bad things. Like for example, I like paying one service Spotify for my stuff. I don't love monopolies, but I like the idea that I can pay for one service and get access to like all kinds of music. It's fantastic. And so whenever there's whenever there's no Joe Rogan or no Neil Young, my value to me is diminished because oh man, I I was gonna enjoy this, you know, and 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 now it's something that I'll either have to look up on YouTube or you know, if I had it as part of a playlist, I'm gonna have to find something else part of the playlist. And then, you know, what happens as a result of this, other artists are also not, you know saying, hey, take me off as well. And since Spotify actually granted the request for Neil Young, who did not own his music, who knows who they could grant it to? Any any artist at all could start coming forward, whether they own the music or not, just being like, hey, I don't like this. Get rid of mine too. You did it for them, do it for me. So did I think I think this could be bad. This could be a fallout for a lot of people that own Spotify. Now, the other aspect of this is Rogan, uh, who is now... <laughs> Edward Snowden tweeted about this subject. So that, that goes to show you exactly how much this has captivated everybody. Ed Snowden wanted from the government, hiding out someplace, is now tweeting, hey, those who, what, the people Isn't with the biggest opinions? Uh, who knows? The people with the biggest opinions. No, he is. Opinions, He's in Russia. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The people Family, with the biggest everything. opinions about Joe Rogan are those who don't listen to Joe Rogan. Now, <laughs> I don't listen to Rogan regularly. Uh, Sam, you sent me a link and I listened to a couple of uh, related links to the to the COVID topics just because I wanted to be informed about when everybody's freaking out, I want to know what they're talking about. What, what are you talking about? Why are you talking about it? Um, I, I don't I don't understand a lot of the hate because I think for me, Rogan is very in fact, you can probably put it together like 10 clips of Joe Rogan just saying like, hey, I don't know. Do not take my advice for you know, from me on this, I'm an idiot. He said that like, I'm just some <laughs> idiot. I know some people I'm asking some questions. I have a lot of curiosity. I, I don't know. Like I, I, you know, if you listen, he even says like, if you take my advice on anything, you're an idiot, right? Like all I'm doing is doing some interviews and talking with people. Um, he occasionally comes off as like a libertarian superhero. Now I understand why the freeform interviews would do that because libertarians love long stuff. If you're listening to this podcast, you're one of them. Uh, you, you don't mind <laughs> sitting in front of the place and and not getting a bumper sticker answer for it, you know? So libertarians love that kind of thing. Now, I'm often confused because, like, I think it's funny. It's like like so, so many times, like, people are like, well, he's a far right leaning or, you know, white nationalist or ethno, you know, something by, again, these are people who don't listen to Joe Rogan. This is a guy who said Barack Obama is the best president we've had in our lifetime. This guy who said Hillary Clinton would restore decency to like the Oval Office. This guy is he's not a libertarian superstar. He's just he has that culture about him because he's willing to talk with people for a long time and ask questions back and forth. And he does not really respect when people say, no, this is the way it is. Now, in his defense, and this is I'm aware I'm going on a long one here, but I want to get all my opinions and then I can let I can let you let you both have fun with this one. Um for me, like, yeah, are some of the people that you, you've had on, have they said stupid things? Have they said bad things? Have they said untrue things? Yes, but you're not a news outlet. Like, you're talking with them. You find them in intriguing and engaging. And the time is, 
this whole idea that's like you can't ask a question. I felt bad the other day because I wanted to ask about what that guy was his name, uh, Robert Malone, the doctor. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to like ask about some of the points that he brought up. And it was just automatic that I could not find something on the Internet that wanted to that would that just said this information like it was just this information is false. And here's some other stuff that Robert Malone did said that was bad from 10 years ago. And I'm just like, okay, can I get an answer to like this specific thing though? Like, I just want to know the answer, right? Like I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I just, I just want to know, right? Like I want to see the counter argument. And here's the thing is now you got a point where either there is no counter argument and then Robert Malone is just right about all that stuff. Or there is a counter argument, but by, by giving the counter argument, I've lowered myself to, to the point where I'm debating an anti-vaxxer. And why would I even debate with such slime and such <laughs> filth? You know, like, come on now. Like, even, look, here, here's how far it's gotten. USA Today had, a, had, had a, an article about how they were done with masks. And they published it. This is USA Today. Like, scared that you'll, that everybody's going to have a chainsaw attachment at the end of their, their guns, right? This is, this is that USA Today. And when I saw it, and it was very blatant, it said, you know, I'm done with masks. And I was like, what? Why are you saying this? And in it, they were just like, here's the thing. I know that Fauci lied about it the first time. And yes, he had, said he had a reason for lying about it because he wanted these people to have the good masks. So, you know, or the, the masks first. So then we put on these other masks. And then I find out that, well, they said, don't worry, your cloth masks are just as effective as everything else. People are talking crap about them. Don't worry about it. And then what happens, they're not as effective as the N95s. So you find out about that. And then they go to release these N95s, which, okay, so so here, here's the latest. This is what Congress is spending money on. Everybody gets three N95 masks. Now, when I say everybody... I think they have 400 million masks being delivered nationwide and 95 masks. Okay. So 400 million. Okay. We are in a nation of 323 million. So everybody's supposed to get three. So they're already assuming that some of you are not going to pick up your masks. If everybody picks up their masks, their system won't work and they re and we will all realize they've lied. Okay. So there's that next. They, they, you have to replace them after five uses. Okay, so this will literally get the nation for people who go outside on a daily, like, let's just say, let's say five days a week, you got to go outside. So you ran your N95. That'll get you through three weeks. So we're get, we're doing this big project to give away three weeks. And the people from, then the guy from USA Today was just like, I've had it. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. I am not going to wear the mask. And, and I'm like, here's how bad it's gotten. When you have driven the people from USA Today, even if they don't all agree, which I'm sure they don't, but to agree to publish an article, you have driven away some people that were in your pocket. They were right there with you and you lost them. And you did it because you kept pushing because you didn't allow these people like Joe Rogan to ask questions and to talk. And instead of countering Joe Rogan by what an idiot, look at here's the truth. It's just what an idiot, don't you dare talk about him. How dare you talk about him? This is outrage. This is outrage. Look, I have had debates with people that believe in race science before. Some of you may have seen my exchanges with them because I think it gets some very genuine people that believe that, you know, race science and, and the nature of it is, is a real thing. I 
I bring up the evidence. I talk about the history and stuff like that. But I'm not just going to say like, oh, you're a race scientist. <coughs> F you, I'm out. Because then what happens? Oh, Hody can't handle it. Hody can't handle the truth. And this is the race science is the truth. Look, I might not want to give you the time of day. I do find it maybe a little appalling. But the thing is, is I understand that not everybody's brought to this place because it's appalling. It's because they think they're doing what's right. They think they've got the truth. And we need to acknowledge that, let people speak and let superior knowledge win out. Like this is, this is just one of those things where it's like, I, I am not, I am also not an anti-vaxxer. I have heard things on Joe Rogan before. Joe Rogan himself has apologized on the show for saying stupid, untrue things. He has said it to say like, hey, I'm just some dummy. I'm sorry about that. That's, you know, what I said wasn't true. Great. I think that's the type of conversation that we should have. When you have a guy like Joe Rogan that clearly is able to apologize when he's confronted with superior information, but you refuse to give him that information because you're on your high horse, you've lost the argument. So I know that I've kind of gotten far from Neil Young, but I feel like I'm probably never going to talk about Joe Rogan again. So this is this is my full this is my full thing about it. I've left us plenty of time for the peace of my mind, and I'm sure that uh, this might be even inter more interesting than our headline segment. Uh, Brian, I'm going to go second on this one because I know Sam has some uh, interesting thoughts on this one as well. So, so Sam, go ahead, go ahead and give me your thoughts on on the whole the whole debacle. Well, first of all, I'm an anti-vaxer, and I love Joe Rogan, and oh, he's always right. <laughs> okay, the last the last part might have been a lie, um, but but it is a lot like you said. No one, no one. I don't think any fan of Joe Rogan says to themselves, I list, I, I agree with Joe Rogan or I have the same opinions as Joe Rogan or anything like who cares what Joe Rogan thinks. Right. Like we're, we listen to the podcast because we're listening to the podcast guests. Like we want to hear what they have to say. And you know, like those two anti-vaxxer doctors, these were like the most high ranking doctors, you know, in the United States, in the world. Um, so they're, they're no, uh, slouches by any means. And so, yeah, Joe Rogan is, I think, very important in to have one outlet where someone can actually just sit down and have a long form conversation or any conversation that's truly honest and not just completely bought up by the corporate press and by corporations and all that. And, uh, you know, he, he also has a lot of fuck you money, so he can just say whatever he wants and he doesn't have to worry about like you know if losing a paycheck you know it's, um or anything like that he just he can keep going and yeah that's i i love joe rogan he's he's great to listen to eat more elk meat i i think there's I, a lesson sorry uh brian i should i should let you talk no I, no, I, no go, go do your I was just to say like i i see why you like him uh for those who didn't see like did you guys see the the listener numbers like joe rogan compared to like cnn it's, yeah. he's got like four times these first of all the thing that bummed me out most about that revelation was that like tucker carlson is second to joe rogan as far as listeners gosh dang Wait. it people do not like i, I know i'm i know i shouldn't say don't listen to people after saying we got to give everybody a chance if you find yourself regularly turn, tuning into tucker carlson please consider tuning into something else. I, I don't know what to say. That well, me all out. of the corporate it, it, media is pretty bad. Tucker at least is uh, slightly not. 
yeah. slightly non-progressive. I don't know. <laughs> the Eminem girl changed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the it, it, story. He's, he's sitting there just with a golf club, hitting these low-hanging fruits, and just so they can just. <laughs> It irked the heck out of everybody, and so that they go out and watch twenty-seven billion my pillow commercials and go buy all the my pillows and keep yeah. that keep that Ponzi scheme going. Right. Um, all right, Brian, go ahead with your thoughts. On this I, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna touch Joe Rogan. I'm not even gonna touch it this time because your next person is gonna get canceled, Bill Maher, because this weekend Bill Maher on his show mm. said that he's done with COVID, and that's a quote. Uh, he also says that we have all, that the left has changed. He hasn't changed. He's held the same positions. And I will be honest, I've watched him for a long time. He's held the same positions pretty consistently for a long time. But that when he sits there and points out that the COVID restrictions aren't doing anything, they aren't saving lives, people are still dying no matter how many masks you make them wear, how many vaccines, by the way, Provax, if you don't want to get it, fine, live your life, enjoy. Don't do it. Um, but he's now being called out by the left. And by the way, he had Barry Weiss on his show this weekend. So that's making it doubly, you know, irksome to everybody in big media. But he's calling out saying, look, you know what? These people need to let go of these silly COVID restrictions and realize that these loony left politics, uh, as he put it, uh, are destroying any hope for the Democrats to win anything. It should be a layup for them uh, post-Trump, he's saying, and they're going off on, you know, who's a who's a boy, girl, whatever. He's saying it's destructive politics and it's not going to win. And, of course, I'm looking here and there's a nice little dearth of articles already starting out with uh, Bill Maher said something that's very controversial that it's time to learn to live with COVID. A local doctor fact-checked them. Um, okay, he said to learn to live with COVID and kind of work with it and do what you need to do. But he had to get fact-checked. Right. He had to get fact-checked and published in the Boston Herald because how dare he question the narrative. So it, it's coming. It's coming slowly but surely. The, the, the moderates in this country, which Bill Maher, let's be honest, at this point, the way things have been going the last 10 years, Bill Maher's getting into that moderate realm. Um, it is coming, and I think it's going to be over. And these, this is, I think, when I say the last death grasp of people who used to control the media and are used to being able to dictate how the media uh, speaks to everyone, it's their last grasp at, at desperation at trying to control the narrative. And if Every 70-plus-year-old musician who sold off their uh, music, uh, their rights to private equity, wants to take their music off Spotify, go for it. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, go for it. Yeah. What, what, if, uh, what if Spotify finally does cave and kicks off Joe Rogan? Won't that just be... Oh, do, do you think that's going to hurt Joe Rogan at all? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Joe Rogan's just sitting there going... Please, I cash the check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to throw me off? Go for it. I'll, I'll come back. I'll be 10 times more powerful than I was before. It, it really is. And actually, Spotify really is is playing this as cool as possible. Because, I mean, they've had the protest that how dare you have J Dave Chappelle on? How dare he have this? How dare? It's all this anger at Spotify. Spotify is going, he's probably one of the cheapest deals that we've made for the cost of 
everybody else that's involved as far as licensing and the cash that's pushed out. Uh, Vaughn, a friend of the show, points out very correctly. Spotify's already spent their money for Rogan. Rogan just has to create content whenever he wants to. So <laughs> he's already cashed the check. So all they do is just literally sit there, fire up the CDN, and when a new episode comes out, hey, think doesn't cost them anything. They don't have to produce. They don't have to produce it. They don't even have to sit there and and, and even just even advertise it once. Just put it out there and click and prints money for them. And, and you know that might sound like like. Oh, he's a dangerous person and he's abusing that. But really, if you've been listening to him, it's just and I don't listen regularly. I'm not going to lie and say I'm like an avid listener. I usually usually when there's like some kind of uproar, I'll pop in to see what the fuss is about. And I usually find that the fuss has been a little bit overrated, underrated or something. I usually find a few interesting tidbits that, you know, when you get told that somebody is like far right by a lot of people, you kind of say like, OK, let's. Let's have it. And that's all tune in. And then he'll be like, I'm just, I wish we could have Obama back in office. And I'm like, oh, far right loon, you know, like, like, come on, guys, like, relax, man, please. Like, he's, if this is like, and this is what you were talking about with Mar, Brian, perfect example here. This is somebody who is probably an ally for you. And it's just mm-hmm. push and push and push against him because of this single issue. And, and I'm not saying that it's not an important issue. Anything that kills millions of people and like, it's a real, pro- COVID is a real problem. COVID authoritarianism is also a real problem. You will lose rights that you're not going to get it back. We're also going to lose lives that we're not going to get back. And I really dislike that when people throw the conversation like, oh, unless you're immunocompromised or something stupid. It's like, you. everybody probably knows five to 10 people who are immunocompromised that you love. Right. Like people that you love. These are people that you should not dismiss. These are people that you should care about and reach out to. And you should have a plan for them. That plan may involve a hell of a lot of free market stuff, a hell of a lot of free discourse, a hell of a lot of, hey, I'm going to help you real quick here. I really like you and I want to make sure that you are safe. So here's how we're going to quarantine you and stuff. These are these are things that we can get together and talk about. But when forbidden for having these discussions, Mar is a great example because you are correct, Brian. Uh, I have never really loved him because I find him to be a jerk, but he has been the same kind of jerk for years and has not changed. And it is absolutely the climate that has changed this. I will not talk to you kind of climate. This got brought about here. Yeah. Chris Bangle and and make of this what you will, because everybody's experience is different. Uh, Poor Spangle had it three times, got all the stuff that he was supposed to get. You know, and got it bad all three times. Like, didn't feel great yeah. all three times. You know, like this I, is. I, Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. I I have an aunt who trains with the UK judo team. She, she, I mean, she's like psycho fit. She got it three times. Once in February 2020, and just when it started breaking out, and two more times she's had it, and it's been terrible every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Telling me that you know. Oh well, it's only affecting it if you have comorbidities or you know, that. That's, that's a load of shit. It, it, there's something funky going on that has not been resolved as far as genetics and chemistry. Sure. That why a perfectly healthy person can get COVID and die from it, and someone who you know is like me can sit there and get a sniffle and be like, "Oh, I'm fine." You know, so <laughs> there, there's a lot of other things going on here that we need to do. And it's- knock on wood, I don't think I've had COVID, but. We'll you know, like, Chris brought up on the main show that everybody you know has said something wrong about COVID. 
Everybody. Yes. I mean, it's just Absolutely. including this me. Is, right. This <laughs> yeah. is this is what it looks like. We're all guessing. We're all talking about what we know. How do I learn? I usually talk about what I learned. I probably learned it from somebody else. You know, something else. Maybe great source. Maybe not great source. Who knows? You know, we try it out. We talk, and we get our ideas that way. And the best ideas kind of win out. You know, I don't, I don't, I think a lot of these ideas are not going to go the way some of the anti-vaxxers think that it will. But at the same time, there has not been, you talk about the fact checkers, that has driven me crazy about this whole thing. Because yeah. you can say any untruthful thing that makes COVID look good and the fact checkers will fall asleep at the wheel and not say a damn thing. And then when you say something that is even true, but it might be a little bit misleading, you'll get slapped with it. You might get... You might get your, I mean, people had their Twitter accounts deleted over sharing truthful information about COVID and its origins. They had their accounts deleted, not just the tweets warned or marked with a warning sign or something like that, deleted. And it ended up being like, well, it ended up being true, but it was real. I mean, what kind of mentality is that going to create in the, to the people who are friends with the accounts that you deleted, right? Like they're going to lose it and they should. They shouldn't get driven further into ideology and probably talk more about, you know, freedom of information and stuff. But, you know, this is still something that I think that 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 we are not handling this the right way as a society. It's this people wanted to deny that cancel culture existed. This is kind of it. it, It's a real thing. Right. Like because it wasn't here's why this is hurtful. I hope that you won't take this off the air because be, or that you will take this off the air because there is freedom of association, right? This is why like kind of this issue at the end of the day is just people doing what they want. Neil Young making a request, Spotify fulfilling that request. Pretty simple, right? But but it, it there's an underlying issue here of is this the way we're going to handle disinformation? I think it's sad that Neil Young wants his music removed at a time like this when he is a big fat anti-war progressive (laughs) okay people need that music right now neil (laughs) like you being less available this is bad timing for you to be less available so instead of using your platform or voice or whatever to say like hey i understand what this guy joe rogan is saying about you know these things but I disagree. And also, hey, we're getting involved in the Ukraine. Please take a listen to this song. I think you'll find it, you know, whatever. And so instead, it's just cancel, chop off, cancel, don't listen to, turn it off, don't address, don't talk about. And we need to talk about it. The fact that I don't know how to validate Robert Malone, what Robert Malone said, I don't know where to go. Because other places are just (laughs) going to character assassinate him, assassinate him. Or, the or other ones are just going to lionize him and just say he's never done anything wrong and he's, you know, the epitome of virtue and he, and he's great. And I'm just like, I just, I just want to know. I just want to talk about what was said, about the idea that was said. And I don't know where to go. And I know I'm not alone. I'm scared to type it into my internet browser. I definitely can't talk about it with my friends, right, and family. And that's really scary when there's something you just can't say like, hey, is it okay if I ask a question? Because this was, I mean, here's the thing. There are some people who disingenuinely ask questions. I've said before, I hate it when people do the, I'm just asking questions. And I'm like, you you fall asleep at the answer every time, right? Like that is frustrating. And I get that. There are people, I talk about doing the race science debates and stuff. There are people who have like made, who have put forward like probably 2000 hours worth of media 
about race science bullcrap that have just been like, well, I'm just asking questions. And I'm like, okay, here's the answer real quick and concise. And it takes like 10 minutes, never addressed. Right. Like, and I get it. Those people are bad actors. I'm not saying everybody believes in race science is a bad actor. Some people are just genuinely fooled, but you know, uh, but at that point I can just say like, well, I'm not going to take you seriously because you, you just disappear when like the other opinion comes up, you know, you're just going to ghost it. You're no longer just asking questions. So I understand where that negative stereotype comes from, but some people actually are just asking questions. It is frustrating to get five shots in your arm. And still get this thing and still get it in a way that still hurts you. Now, I understand. Is it maybe lessened? Worth talking about. You know, maybe chances of death are a little less. Absolutely worth talking about. Does it change the rate of uh, of um, contagiousness? Worth talking about. Hey, this is also a virus. The cold is a virus. Is this why we haven't had a cure to the common cold? Seems somewhat similar. Worth talking about. But you should be able to talk about this as opposed to if you say any, ask any of these things, people assume that you're coming from a direction and they say, I know what you want the answer to be. I don't care. I just want to, I want to have a discussion because I like the truth. And I I just find that this cancel him or cancel me or cancel this. I, I don't know. I would rather we just reach out and talk positively, have a positive discourse have a debate that's not like hostile, like say like, hey, Robert Malone, let's have a debate. And instead of like making it all like my cult versus your cult, how about we just like, shoot, you know, shoot the breeze and just talk about things. Hey, I'm a viro- virologist. You're a virologist. Instead, what you do, you get together with 297 other virologists and sign a letter saying Robert Malone is ugly. And you're like, no, okay, no, no. great. Yeah. Go How ahead, many Brian. of those were doctors? <laughs> so few. I did hear medical doctors. Right. It was like, you know. One of them was a podcaster, uh, right? One of them had my oh, yeah. level of a, intelligence. Well, and a dentist. The dentist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's it, right. It's hilarious. And and that was that was like that. I mean, if I'm putting out, if I'm if I'm uh, if I'm going to put out a list that says I have 200 doctors under said below. I'm going to Google a few of the names. I'm going to go through and say, oh, okay, well, are they at Johns Hopkins? You know, no, they're at uh, Fred's Veterinary Hut. (laughs) And he can fit you in to get an anal gland squeezing on Tuesday at 3 p.m. You know, (laughs) well, it's like, yeah. The one one thing I want to add to all this is that, you know, you, you see them silencing one side. It's not because they think they're right. I don't think that's the case. I think it's because a lot of it's pushed by Pfizer and a lot of it put pushed by Moderna. I mean, if you watch the corporate media, I mean, who, what are all the commercials? I used to get sick of it watching it with my mom. It's always like, and I used to laugh at the antidepressant commercials because the people in the commercial are always depressed. It's like they're selling something. They're not trying to sell hope. They're just like, this might make you feel better. And they do like these four smiles. But anyway, like it, it's very obvious that, why they're doing all this i mean they'll have literal terrorists on twitter tweeting but you can't have someone say um right you know the earth is flat or something like that so i mean it's what we're what we have now is we have a new sort of battle and it's a battle of ideas and it's a battle of tech it's no longer you know in the trenches shooting at each other The, the the fight for power is through the media 
Yeah, it's uh, like you said, Sam, the fact that they'll crack down so hard, and, and this is obviously corporate corporate backing has a lot to do with this, that that Twitter will have these backwards rules. Like if you create a fake, like I had a friend uh, who is trans and there was a fake account created of her. And it was obviously fake, right? Like very obviously fake, you know, I love itching my balls kind of thing because that's funny because this person is trans and like, you know, just saying stupid thing and commenting stupid things, <coughs> making, making this person look overall bad. And that's, that was the whole point of it. And it was obvious fake. And like, Thousands of people reported it as being like, hey, this is a fake account about a person that is seeking to, this person's just seeking to do them harm. And Twitter's like, you know what? We're aware this is a satire thing, but we allow it on our platform. We're aware the per the, that it's not real. And this is just the life we live now. Fake stuff happens. Sorry. Like that's, you know, you're just going to have to live with it. Uh, I saw a dispute in which one person, uh, Unfortunately, a libertarian decided to unleash a lot of N-words and F-words, but the homophobic slur F-word and uh, some anti-Semitic slurs at, at other people did not get banned because it's like, hey, they're just words, you know, please block them instead, you know. And then it's like, but if you ever suggest that the virus originated somewhere other than China because somebody ate bat soup or, you know, some, anywhere other than the wet market, <laughs> your account will be banned and blocked because you are spreading this malicious. No, the other stuff is malicious. We're talking about maliciousness. Like, come on. The other stuff is very obviously terrible, but you're over here just saying like, eh, like we, we don't care about that, but we do care about that. Yeah. It's the only way this happens is when we're talking about money and profit because it doesn't make sense. Right, like it just, just in in our brains doesn't make sense. I was reading the other day that like there's three companies that are allowed to produce like the vaccine in most countries, like average like 187 or something like that. But the U.S. is like, why why are we doing that? That seems dumb, right? Like, what why why do we only let? I mean, I I I know we do it under the guise if we want to make sure each of these works and is good for us. But I mean, if it's good enough for other countries, can't it be good enough for us too? I, I don't know. I, I've taken a long time and I'm aware this has gotten off track. Sam, your uh, your piece of my mind actually ties into this. So why don't you hit us with a piece of your mind? Uh, let's just talk about the, the, the Canadian truckers in uh, Ottawa. Um, the, the big question I always have with stuff like this is um, I think of like um, in 2020, the riots, you know, when they first started attacking the the police precinct, I was kind of cheering because I'm like, finally, you know, they're like this qualified immunity is stupid. Yep. All this stuff, like these people need to go down. We need to start tearing down government buildings. And then of course it just all went south. Um, and they just started burning everything and not anything was accomplished. And then you saw, you know, January 6th, which is staged somewhat, I mean, encouraged by feds probably, but again, it's like I was really excited and then it just ended up being a big nothing. So this Canadian rally, this um, entourage or this, what do they call it? Uh, the, the the Guinness World Records for the longest line of trucks. I forget what it's called. Entourage, I think it is. No, it's a but convoy. The, longest convoy. Convoy, convoy. Yes. 
But the the question is 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 this going to be helpful in any way? I mean, the the people that are, there's people. I mean, if you don't have trucking for like three days, people just start dying. So I love what they're doing, and I love that they're protesting. And someone, James Jenneman, a friend of mine, he said that uh, protests against the establishment don't work only if they're like endorsed by the establishment. Do protests usually work? But I don't know. It's it's interesting, and it, I like the fact that Justin Trudeau had to actually acknowledge them, even though he he tried to downplay it. But I mean, this, I mean, there's what a hundred, there's half a million truckers out there right now, and it keeps growing every day, and they keep trying to minimize it. I know they had some flame that people were using to keep warm that had a bunch of plaques on it that had been lit for a very long time. They they turned it off just so they could get warm. They're redirecting traffic, trying to fight things and everything. And But I always wonder, you know, what is the extent to which you should react to government? Should you react by fighting back? Should you do protests? Should you go the political route? Should you do um, agorist route? And it's... Yeah, it's always a big question to me. Like, so it'll be interesting to see whether or not this works, whether or not this brings enough attention, and you know, like this is—is is this actually going to force people's hand or the the governor's hand, or are they just going to be like, okay, well, they can drive around circles all they want? Brian, your thoughts? I, I'm still nursing my voice from talking so much. I, you know, I I'm in support of any sort of nonviolence. Um, you know, measures going and speaking to the government. Uh, those guys going to Ottawa, uh, I don't think it was half a million. I don't even think it was 50,000, but it was a lot. Um, it was definitely a lot of sandbagging, I think, from both sides on this, unfortunately. Um, I think it probably was the world's longest con- carnivore, but we'll obviously yeah. never get the real details of it. Uh, you are right that it would be nice if we could do this without interrupting um, things such as um, the uh, delivery of goods and services, but that is just a, a reality of it. So I, I think if anything that the media's coverage of it and, and everything else has only made people just as what you do when you ban information, you suddenly make it more interesting, more inciting and uh, the people that are do- doubling down saying it didn't happen or it wasn't nearly as big. Uh, it was only a couple of trucks and some guy named Fred. And the other thing I saw was that, of course, a swastika was found on one of the trucks, apparently. Oh. That means they're all Nazis, apparently. <laughs> of course. Definitely yeah. all fascists. If, yeah, but, you know, it is, a, it is a problem in some parts of it. But the thing is that if you see 300 trucks all with swastikas on it. I think you probably have the same, but if you see one dude with a swastika on his arm or something like that, you know, I, I don't even know what to say at that point. It's like, you know, there's, you, you can always find the problem, but if that's what you're doing is you're getting down to one person and saying, well, this ruins the whole movement. Well, you know, Jeffrey Tubin's still on CNN. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they brought him back. They brought him back and had that really uncomfortable interview. So I don't think that, these media companies are really the highest in uh, the ability to uh, 
find good people. The wiener on so. Zoom guy kept his job. I like that. Oh, I was going to ask who it was. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the guy yeah. who, yeah. Yeah, and, and and just like, yeah, I did that. I, I'm like, how would you even go back on national TV? I mean, I'd change my name and oh yeah, yes in Yugoslavia or something. You know, I, I I'm gonna go back on TV and everyone's gonna know. I'd be so embarrassed. You know, I think uh, this is a a great tie-in with our our last segment because I think <clears throat> so. According to the to Canada, you know, they have 120,000 truckers and 90 percent of them are vaccinated. And so that should only leave 12% or, you know, uh, 12,000 unvaccinated truckers. And then you attract more than 10,000 truckers, 12,000 truckers to protest your law. Okay. Or your mandate. Okay. So what did you do? You galvanized your enemy and you forced support for an extreme minority position when you, when you had this mandate. Now this is a two-way mandate. Obviously some of these truckers are also Americans as well. Uh, because this is actually a two-way mandate. The Canadian government is, of course, requiring for you to get a mandate in order to be employed if you're going to be a trucker there. And then the U.S. side is requiring that you have, or I'm sorry, you can be unvaccinated, but you have to, after you reach your destination, you then have to quarantine for like a week. There, there was some quarantine period. So I'm sorry, you won't get fired, but they pretty much won't hire you anymore or send you on any jobs and you're pretty much not able to get a job. Government's really good at that. We're not going to make it illegal, but it's going to be impossible for you to do it anymore. Um, And then the American side, if you cross into the States, you have to show proof of vaccination. So, you know, what you've done here is you've got two people. And because you made these mandates, you've gotten a lot of people that say, I approve of the vaccine. I am vaccinated and I am against the mandate. And so I am going to now join with these people who I ordinarily wouldn't because I disagree with their assessment of things because you just got government force involved and you're threatening their livelihoods and stuff. I know that this was a big deal for me. Um, I'm grateful that it got cut down before it got this far, but this was something something my company was looking for. We employ writers and Joe Biden pushed for a vaccine mandate that would have required us to get vaccinations even if we want to stay at home. Now, look. If you are being ultimately responsible and you say, yes, I'm not going to get the vaccine, but I don't want to endanger somebody else because of my opinion, I will stay home and be a writer. That's a good thing. You should encourage that by saying, yes, good. Stay home. Don't endanger anybody else. You did the right thing. And instead, what you'd want to do is put the pressure even on those people. Truckers? Like you got a... yeah, this, these people spend long times in isolation here. And I understand there's unloading the truck and stuff like that, but this is not somebody that is going to your local mini mall. And by the way, when you step into a mini mall, they don't ask for your proof of vaccination there. They're going to ask for your proof of vaccination if you go to the back and drop off the boxes. So if you're not around the people, no proof. Of, if you are around a ton of people, you do have to have proof of vaccination, or you, you are around a ton of people. So I keep saying this wrong because it doesn't make sense in my head. If you are going to be intermingling with a bunch of people, you are not required to have a vaccination. If you are going to be dropping off a few boxes in the back of that populated mini ball, you do have to have proof of vaccination. This is stupid. Everybody knows it's stupid. And so because of it, you've created a 
a group of enemies, and those enemies have allies they would not have had until you stepped in. Right. This is this is the problem. Uh, I am glad that Trudeau is paying the price for it. I do want to be consistent. I don't love blocking traffic. I said it for BLM, and so I would be very hypocritical for saying it now. Um, there are people that need to get in and out. Um, yep. As far as it being violent, obviously you're not directly hurting people. Are you indirectly hurting people? I just don't like it. I don't like shutting down streets. Now, I I am totally I totally understand that if you're not going to get the attention, you have to seize the attention. Do something about these mandates. Absolutely. Create a demonstration of some kind. Um, this is just a personal thing for my part. I am always big on protests being as friendly and lovable as possible. I'll just say that. And I don't, uh, I think when you shut down streets, like I talk about with the politician making allies or enemies that they shouldn't have, it's another way that you can make enemies that you shouldn't have. So I, I will say that. Uh, is it better than going out and blowing up buildings? Yes, of course, but it is still not something that I that I love. So I, I will say to their credit, oh. like they're not I, they're not blocking traffic. They're just it's just a natural consequence of having that long convoy. I don't, I, I don't I, know if that's yeah. a distinction without a difference, but it, it's a distinction. But I, I would rather them go drive downtown and then park the trucks outside of town or do something that's not as disruptive. But but hang on. When, when you know you've lost the left on this one, Marianne Williamson just tweeted about a couple minutes ago oh, that she too. thinks, yeah, oh, she's <laughs> as left as you can get. <laughs> says that there's no reason that we should be blocking Joe Rogan. He should be able to print his, do his podcast as much as possible. Wow. And that it reminds her of people that try to ban books. Yeah. So it's like when you're losing that hardcore left, I mean, unless somebody thinks that she's some sort of anti-vax nut job, she's <laughs> saying that, that that banning his podcast is similar to burning a book, and uh, Joe Rogan should be able to talk his podcast about whatever he damn well pleases. So, I, I think that there's enough pushback on this. And I said this is this is the grasp of a dying medium: newspapers, Fox News, all these uh, CNN, everybody else. Their ratings are in the toilet. And they have to keep convincing advertisers to buy with them. Let's think yeah. about this. Think of the quality of advertising you're seeing right now on CNN, Fox, and MSNBC. It, it's besides the Pfizer ads. Um, it's it's not it's it's not like it used to be 20 years ago, where you would see very large companies advertising. You're seeing essentially the equivalent of uh, of uh, fly by night gold companies, and uh, of course, my pillow. God. When that, yeah. when that comes down as a Ponzi scheme, it's going to be hilarious. So, <laughs> I know. All right, Brian, let's have a piece of your mind before we wrap things up. My, mine's going to be totally apolitical. Um, Good. Maybe. Okay. No, it's going gonna, it's gonna to delve in, of course. Um, this week, the Chicago Bears, I'm going back to sports here briefly. Please, mm. those of you who don't uh, follow sports ball too closely, just, just hang with me for a minute. Last week, the Bears fired their general manager and coach uh, because of poor performance, and they immediately replaced him. Well, not immediately, but within a couple, within a week and change, hired a well-coveted executive who has come in and taken things over and shaken up the house. When you hear why this happened, when you hear the details of how the previous organization didn't like conflict, wanted to build people up, wanted to 
build the man, wanted to do all these things that sound good on paper, but don't exactly get you the results that you want. When you're afraid to tell somebody that they're not performing well, when you're afraid to go ahead and hurt somebody's feelings, there's a point that you've got to realize that that's a self-defeating philosophy. And I've seen this a lot in companies and, and businesses these days. They lose focus on what is managing an organization and what is leading an organization. And we see a lot of people claim to be in leadership. Leadership is, well, you know, it's the senior directors, their leadership, they're leading us into, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen a lot of companies where the leadership is far more interested in their own short-term political or fiscal gain than to actually leading an organization. And this is something that kind of even goes out outside of business into nonprofits and things like that. And dare I say, political committees and groups and caucuses. So this is what I wanted to talk about was that even in football, in business, in life, in politics, you've got to really understand that you're, while staying on message may be important, doing the right thing is far more important. You may hurt feelings, you lose followers. You may find yourself in a way that is difficult to explain because you're doing the right thing. In the Liberty Movement, we have some great people that, that are constantly on message, that uh, constantly speak their mind and, dare I say, bring the receipts every single time somebody challenges them. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and there are others who look to divide, who look to blame, who look to say, you misunderstood me who sit there and go, well, that's not what I meant. How dare you dare think what I was really saying at that exact moment, never mind the myriad of evidence that I've presented in the, in the previous times that we've spoken. And this gets back to your point, Hody. A lot of people ask a lot of questions. They don't want a lot of answers. And this is what we need to, this is what separates managers, leaders in any organization. So like the bears this week, they went ahead and got themselves what looks to be a leader. He came in, he took over, and he's leading this organization. He got rid of everybody else who was going to influence his decision in a way that was going to undermine his leadership. Now, you could say this is a coup. You could say that this is a person coming and taking over. But if you're given a responsibility to lead an organization, whether you've chosen that or it's been thrust upon you, you need to lead, which means you need to listen and you need to do the right thing. And if you aren't doing either one of those, you need to get out of that position. Good call. Love it. I uh, <clears throat> totally agree. I think that there's a, there's a difference between being like authoritarian and being, and saying, I need people that have like my vision. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think that that's something that we kind of, haven't seen in the last few like presidencies especially which is weird for me because you kind of get to choose your department and i think that that's the point where you can say like this is the difference between doing what everybody wants me to do and doing what is right you know like there is right. no like donald trump didn't accomplish much because there wasn't really a vision there like he actually talked about i mean what's funny is donald trump actually had a lot about uh getting rid of the tyranny of like roads right like he actually 
answering the libertarian question for how these like roads would work and stuff like that. Roads, they're coming roads. after me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so like, and for me, I was excited about it. Right. Cause they, he started talking like free market solutions. What does he do? Puts people in the, in, you know, the transportation department that want to keep the transportation department around and aren't down with the free market yeah. thing. So what happens in that area? Nothing. Right. Like, so, so you get no good results, you know, you see organizations like this. I'm glad you bring up the football anal you know, analogy because there are organizations where you can see people at odds and it makes for a weird team. Like it makes for a team that lacks an identity because one person says, no, we need to spend all our money on quarterback and offensive line. Another guy says, no, you, you need corners and defensive line. And, and so what you end up doing is splitting the difference making these compromises and you end up with a team that's not nothing, right? They're blah. They're uninteresting, you know, jets, uh, jets, jets. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the jets problem in a nutshell, right? No identity. It's not that they're bad. Like, it's not like a tear, like the worst team. It's just when you don't have, you just are like, well, we'll pay this much. And I guess, you know, that's all there is to it. I, I just, I think that um, we just need to, to, yeah, like le leaders need to lead. They need to understand. Um, they do need to do the right thing. I think it's fine because there are some leaders that take over that do everything their way and their way sucks. Um, we have seen the Lions go through that a couple of times where they're like, this is oh, this is who we're going to so be. Sorry, Christy. I, I'm sorry, <laughs> too, Christy. I, but, you know, I think that that's a good example of somebody who they did give that like total control, make your own whatever. And they made the wrong decisions with all that control. And it's like, well, that didn't work either. So and it's not and I know, Brian, you're not saying this, but I'm just clarifying anyway. It's not that you're not willing to listen to reason, you know, or 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 talk with other people about like what the right decision is moving forward. But there is still a leadership aspect of saying, this is my choice. I just want to get some input to make the right one. You know, I want to talk with people right. and make sure that they're informed and, and understand what my team's situation is and understand what their capabilities are. I have no beef with teams that, I mean, my Broncos, apparently this is what we do now is just build our team up and then hopefully <laughs> hire, get somebody at the very last year of their career and uh and hopefully maybe we can make a super bowl run with them now uh but you know that's fine and what does it mean it means sucking after it happens right you make the super bowl run what happens oh you got to pay all those contracts oh we can't pay anything else well this team's going to be bad for a long time you know i think and you know what that's okay it's just cycles like that and that's life um anyway uh sam any thoughts on this one on anything brian said not not a whole lot um yeah, I don't I don't have any thoughts. Too much football. I haven't watched football in like a couple of years. <laughs> Jacob is the only real libertarian. We are libertarians. Uh, I, I, I Jacob was on here saying that he's the only real libertarian. I think we've I thought his wife was the only real I thought his <laughs> wife was the only real libertarian. I, I he's no. giving me mixed messages now. No, she his, can't, his, we his should wife. cancel him. We should, we should cancel. Uh, no, I think I I think we. Just I'm leaving podcast unless <laughs> Jacob leaves his podcast. We're all the truest of Scotsmans. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I think that um, you know I think libertarians right now we're kind of going through a bit of an identity crisis because there's some folks that want to uh, make thing make the liberty movement their way. A lot of people trying to gatekeep for both sides, deciding what belongs in, what belongs out. It's not a very kinetic thing. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of leaders stepping forward 
to kind of help organize this, you know, and, and it hasn't always been like this. Now, here's the thing. Libertarianism always go through these cycles. We have a strong yeah. charismatic voice. That charismatic voice fades out or goes away or does whatever. Now we need a new voice. That's life, right? That's just, that's just life. Okay. Like this is, this is life in the Liberty movement. When you're this small and there is no power structure, it, this just may be how politics works, you know, in, in the, libertarian party but also in the libertarian movement at large um i i don't i've been a libertarian for i think like about 10 ish years now i was right at the end of the tea party so actually maybe even a little longer than that uh yeah about 10 ish years and i don't remember the culture war being as so as is so integral it is is right now and that's pretty wild but like everybody's all over the place on it and there is no Unfortunately, I think we have very voices that are very, I don't want to say strong because they're not strong enough to get everybody to agree with them. They are very loud. We have very loud voices on the other sides that are saying, no, these people are your enemy. No, these people are your enemy. And it's like, oh my goodness, you guys, like there's no attempt at peacemaking. There's no agreeing to disagree. There's, I mean, and and the people, and I, I got to think that some of these issues that we're fighting over you're making, I mean, people make a big deal about it. And again, this goes for both sides, but just saying that like, I mean, there are people who don't, who say they don't want to talk about identity politics that spend literally, I mean, literally 20 plus hours a week talking about identity politics. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me for people that say they don't want to, like, you can't do this. And then there are other people who spend maybe 50 hours a week countering those people because all they want to do is talk about identity politics when they say they don't want to talk about identity politics and nobody like i don't want to say nobody because there's some very valuable people that i love including people associated with this show and this network that are doing the work that are trying to be peacemakers that are just saying guys we cannot keep doing this we cannot keep doing this to ourselves you over there please don't say that white supremacist crap anymore you over there please stop pretending Everybody who's talked to that person is now a white supremacist. Stop it. Both sides. Stop it. All right. There's my message for you. Stop it. I'm not the leader. I'm going to go ahead and say that right now. Maybe a writer, but I'm certainly not the speaking leader that's going to, to do anything with this movement. Um, and so I'm aware I'm kind of calling for somebody else to be the hero. Um, for now, I think the best you can do is be the hero in your own life. Uh, talk to the people you know. I think too many people try to say, I'm going to affect the whole libertarian movement. And at best, you may affect a, a segment of, at best, you may affect a segment on the social media that is like, you know, 1,000 people, but even then they just agreed with you already. You're just saying the things they like to hear. I mean, let's be honest here. If we're going to actually, like when we're talking about changing, this has to be like Ron Paul level of bringing people in and and kind of revolution which hasn't happened since ron paul so anyway yeah uh i think we're good to wrap it up there um i do have some interesting stuff on the horizon because i did want to talk about um we had some folks i had a lot of guests lined up and i just realized this when lou was like oh you know we can't do i can't be on anymore and then i was like oh we won't do regular shows anymore that there are folks who wanted to talk about a variety of topics on the show everywhere from faith to I wanted to have some of the various caucus people in the libertarian party talk about their caucus stuff. Um, and I thought that that would be a lot of fun to kind of, to kind of ask some of those guys. So 
so you should be getting a, a lot of shows again. Thank you so much for staying tuned. And I know we're, we're less consistent now, but it means a lot that you, that you tune into us. Um, Brian, Sam, anything you want to say before we say bye-bye? Nope. Uh, apparently okay. we've got a barn burner of a, of a game going on. So <laughs> yeah, everybody, if you are taking the time to listen to this podcast instead of, Oh, the game pretty much just ended. Uh, I won't say one way or another in case you're watching this. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Kisses. Love you. I will catch you all next time. Have a good one.